This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with the unimaginable tragedy that's gripped our nation for three days now. The fatal bus crash involving the Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team. Ten players and five support staff were killed. Tonight we're learning about the crash and a heart-wrenching mistake that led to one survivor being misidentified. John Hua begins our coverage. Heads bowed with heavy hearts. Why did this happen? I would love to stand up here as a spiritual leader and say I have all the answers, but I don't. The healing has barely begun in Humboldt, Saskatchewan. I don't know why. A small community grieving the loss of 15 members of their beloved Broncos after the junior hockey team's bus collided with a heavy tractor trailer on Friday. Everyone knows someone, and it's, it's been tough for everyone. Shortly after Sunday's emotional vigil, an unimaginable mistake was discovered. Xavier LaBelle, who was pronounced dead, is still alive in hospital. The family of Parker Tobin told it was their son who was killed in the crash. I can't even fathom, and I don't think enough could ever be said. All I can do is offer our sincerest apologies. Friends of the talented goaltender left in disbelief. And he just said, Parker didn't make it. Unfortunately, that man that you've been hearing about was a different player and not, not Parker. How this happened added to the many question marks surrounding this tragedy. We're still working to determine the cause of the collision, the circumstances surrounding it. All of those things are being looked into. This intersection has claimed lives before. Six people died here two decades ago. The Rural Municipal Council wants rumble strips added to the lights already on stop signs. That is a major intersection and it is a dangerous intersection. As many wait for answers and solutions, support for this community is already here. Former NHLer Sheldon Kennedy, who also lost four of his Swift Current Broncos teammates in a bus crash in 1986, sharing his journey with survivors. If you're having these thoughts and you're feeling this way, uh, those are normal for what you went through. And we know that today. We didn't know that 30 years ago. Kennedy also knows once the shock subsides, that's when the grief really sets in. Like the flowers around center ice of their home arena, the rest of Canada and the world continues to wrap Humboldt in its collective embrace. John Hua, Global News. And reporter Quinn Oler joins us live from Humboldt tonight. Quinn, so many questions still about what happened. How are people coping there in Humboldt? Well, Sophie, now we are a couple days after. I think the magnitude of this tragedy is finally starting to set in. One of the things that's been repeated time and time again is that people here need to speak to each other about what has happened, come together and grieve together. Because the only people who know what they're going through are them. They're also being asked to reach out to for support from professionals in the area. Crisis support workers are in place in the community still. 
and they will be for quite some time for what will be a long road ahead to recovery. The reality is a lot of, this, a lot of the supports are going to disappear in a week or two weeks. Um, and that's when the real hurt and heartache for the families and, and the community, that's when those, those voids are going to need to be filled. And, uh, and so that's, I guess that's the, the continuing unique calling that we have is we're not just on the outside, we're, our church is here. Church, a lot of members of the community coming together to support each other, support mm -hmm. the key. Uh, so what is the Hockey League doing to help the victims, Quinn? Today uh, they announced, Sophie, that they're actually going to be starting uh, an assistance program for the league, not just for the 11 teams that are in the league right now, but moving forward into the future. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Quinn Ola reporting for us in Humboldt. And there is more financial support as well. The GoFundMe campaign for the Humboldt Broncos is one of the fastest growing campaigns in history. The fundraiser was initially set for just $10,000, but within 24 hours it raised more than a million. As of this evening, it's well over $6 million. It's the largest campaign to date in Canada, and now one of the fundraising platform's top five largest campaigns globally. Donations have poured in from more than 65 countries and more than 70,000 people. Well, if there's anything positive to come out of this tragedy, it's the heroic forethought of one young player before he lost his life. Just weeks ago, Logan Boulay signed up to become an organ donor. Now, not only has he given six people the gift of life, as Aaron MacArthur reports, he's inspired many more to become a donor as well. How is the new kidney? Working amazing. Amazing. Darren Tom and Josh Holman now have a bond unlike anything else. After five years of dialysis, Darren was desperate for a new kidney. It was Josh who stepped up without a moment's hesitation. I asked his mom right off the get-go what was his blood type, and I already knew what my blood type was because I had to give blood for my daughter. So, and. Uh, as soon as she told me it was O positive, I said in a heartbeat he could have my kidney. Organ donor registrations have been climbing steadily in B.C. and right across the country. But it was the tragedy over the weekend in Saskatchewan that has sparked a wave of registration. In death, Logan Boulay saved six people by becoming an organ donor. In B.C., on a typical weekend, about 50 people register their intentions. Since Friday, the number has jumped to 363. There's just more and more conversation um, in the media and social media about the power of organ donation. While the conversations are happening, some people want the discussion started much earlier. Logan Boulay made his intentions clear on his 21st birthday. Haley Chima has started a change.org petition to get the discussion started in schools. There's a sensitivity, even in 2018, about organ donation and transplantation, and it needs to be diminished, and we need to have informed conversations in our classrooms. We need to have informed conversations in our homes. Already a lung transplant recipient, Darren Tom now has a second, maybe a third chance at living a life. Just really grateful. No words to explain how thankful he could be for it. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Yep. 
We have some breaking news for you now from Vancouver. There is a heavy police presence at West King Edward and Crown tonight. VPD is on scene investigating a single vehicle accident that has claimed the life of a Vancouver man. Around 3 this afternoon, several witnesses called 911 to report that a car westbound on West King Ed drove through Crown Street into a wooded area, then burst into flames. The lone occupant of that car died at the scene. Investigators do not believe another vehicle was involved, but it's not clear yet what caused this accident. In the other big news story of the day, shockwaves still spreading across B.C. tonight after yesterday's bombshell announcement about the Trans Mountain Pipeline project. Kinder Morgan's decision to stop most of its spending on the pipeline has environmentalists celebrating and supporters of the pipeline fuming. Ted Chernecki has the latest in what some are calling a constitutional crisis. This morning, there were still trucks leaving the Kinder Morgan tank farm, and just down the road, there was still the opposition camp, defiant as ever, that despite the company's announcement, they're not buying it. We're not leaving. We are here to stay. We're growing, if anything, we're expanding. What is different appears to be much bigger. Some say the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion has expanded into a constitutional crisis. And if the voices of the moderate majority of Canadians are forgotten, the the reverberations of that will tear at the fabric of Confederation for many, many years to come. During question period in Victoria, the daggers were out from the opposition, suggesting the minority governing New Democrats have created a fiasco that threatens all major investing in B.C. It's time for him to accept his accountability, get on the plane to Ottawa, and solve this little mess that he has created for all British Columbians. We're not stomping our feet. We're in court. We're in court making the argument that British Columbia should have jurisdiction over our air, our water, our land, and the risks are too great. The fact is oil sands production is expected to increase by almost 2 million barrels a day by 2040. That oil's got to go somewhere, and a tripling of oil by rail is a distinct possibility, so says business and the governments of Alberta and Canada. Well, this is no longer about a pipeline. It's actually a referendum on whether or not you can do business in British Columbia and Canada. And following Kinder Morgan's announcement over the weekend that it will suspend all unnecessary Trans Mountain Pipeline twinning until May and possibly forever after that, there followed renewed threats from Alberta of an escalating trade war. Alberta is prepared to do whatever it takes to get this pipeline built, including taking a public position in that pipeline. The ball is now clearly in Ottawa's court. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Well, let's talk about that now with Keith Baldry, who joins us from Victoria. Uh, The federal angle now, Keith, the prime minister certainly doesn't seem to be flinching. No, well, he's still sticking to his words. Uh, People, uh, pipeline advocates are looking for some action from uh, the prime minister. More on that in a moment. But our crew did catch up with uh, the prime minister earlier, again, reaffirming his vow that from his perspective, the federal government will ensure it follows its jurisdictional powers here and make sure that pipeline is built. Here's Justin Trudeau. We're going to stand up for the federal jurisdiction, the federal right uh, to determine projects that are in the national interest and get them built. 
So what type of action could Trudeau uh, be contemplating? I'm told uh, by some fairly high-ranking officials that they're looking at everything from examining the, the transfer payments that goes Victoria's way. The B.C. government gets about $9 billion a year from Ottawa for a variety of transfer payments, including health care. That could be reduced by some amount. They'll also be looking at the various federal, provincial partnerships that exist out there. But get ready for Rachel Notley and Justin Trudeau to take more action than we've seen in the past. This is going to be quite the war between now and May 31st. Oh, it's getting interesting. All right, thanks very much, Keith Baldry okay. and Victoria. The suspect in a frightening sexual assault involving a young girl in her Surrey home appeared in court today. Anthony David Trevelyan is charged with break and enter, sexual assault, and sexual interference of a person under 16. Our Grace Key was in court for his appearance. Grace, what are we learning about Trevelyan? Well, we know Trevelyan is 45 years old, a resident of Surrey, and does have an extensive criminal background. So Trevelyan is accused of breaking into a Surrey home by 132 A Street Thursday around 4 o'clock in the morning and sexually assaulting a young girl. A resident confronted him and he ran out the back door. He was arrested the next day. Now, the court database does show a criminal record that dates back to 2000 and includes theft, assault, breach of probation, and being unlawfully in a dwelling. Now, it was a neighbor who took some photos of Trevelyan after she found him on her property the morning of the assault. Around the same time, uh, we also received some information uh, and thereafter received information from people who were reporting uh, attempted break and enter to their residences. Uh, once RCMP got that information, we then began investigating whether or not there were any linkages between the assault occurrence and the other occurrences. Now, Trevelyan does remain in custody. His next court appearance is on the 17th. Sophie? Grace Key reporting in Surrey. Grace, thank you. Right now, though, the Vancouver Canucks holding their final press conference this morning, talking about the team's outlook post Sedines. To talk more about that, Squire Barnes joins us at the desk. Well, without the Sedines, a lot of things will change, and one of them is the average age of the Vancouver Canucks roster. Mm-hmm. It will lower significantly and I think that's what a lot of people have wanted to hear from the Canucks for a while. You got Elias Pettersson, he'll be here soon, maybe as early as next season. He's been great in the Swedish Elite League this year. Ole Olevi might be here next year. Of course, we have seen some young players like Adam Gadet start his career here late this past season. Jake Furtanen might get better next year. They certainly hope so. And then of course there's Bo Horvat and we mentioned Brock Besser. We should mention Brock Besser as well. Great season for him. Bull Horvat. one of the questions today at the uh, postseason press conference was, will he be the captain? I, I see him as a guy that's got a, is going to take a step in the leadership for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of people might think it's automatic that Bull will be the captain. And, you know, I'm not saying he's not going to be either. It's... Let's get through, let's decompress, and then we'll assess the situation. There's going to be a ton of opportunity for young players to grow. We're going to be very young next year, and um, uh, I think that's it's exciting. At the same time, presents some, some risk as well. You can't talk hockey without bringing up the uh, Humboldt tragedy. I know all professional players are feeling it too. What are plans for the Canucks? We're hearing that, uh, that they make, may make it out to Humboldt. Well, there's, there's a couple of Canucks... Um, from Saskatchewan, uh, Derek Pouliot and Derek Dorsett, who of course retired earlier this year but has been around the team 
the entire season and was there the other night in Edmonton for the Sedin's final game. Uh, Trevor Linden had this to say about those two Saskatchewan natives going out to Humboldt. Um, you know, I know Derek Dorsett and uh, Derek Pouliot are putting a group together to to go to Humboldt this week and, and to, to visit there. Um, just the outpouring of support has been really, truly amazing from the hockey community, but uh, it's just a tragic, uh, very sad uh, Sad night for sure. Sad, sad time in the, for the game. And we'll more, more on the Canucks, including the Travis Green, Ben Hutton. Oh, really? Ah. Headbutting. That'll be part of it as well. It can be productive in a coach-player relationship. Oh, it's worked. It has worked in the past, and sometimes it's worked the other way, but Ben Hutton's going to have to shape up. All right. Thanks a lot, Squire. All right. Thanks, Squire. For the past few months, you've probably heard the Loblaws chain has been offering customers $25 gift cards as a goodwill gesture for its part in the bread price-fixing scandal. But some are now saying it comes with too many strings attached, and social media is lighting up with customers expressing frustration. Our consumer reporter, Andrew, joins us now with more. Anne? And we're hearing from plenty of viewers who are frustrated as well. Thanks, you mm -hmm. too. Many are upset. Select customers are being asked to hand over very personal information. In fact, after a formal complaint, Canada's privacy commissioner has now opened an investigation into Loblaws gift card policy. For consumers hoping to receive a $25 Loblaw gift card, it could cost you your privacy. Some Loblaw customers upset the Canadian food retailer has instructed them to hand over a scanned copy of a utility bill or a valid driver's license in order to receive the bread price fixing gift card. I can understand that if they're trying to verify that you only get one per household, but um, I'd, I think to like ask you to send a bill or your personal ID, I think it's too much. Did you get the gift card from Loblaws? No. You didn't? Okay. No, because I heard all the commotion, so I just left it alone. Some customers who've registered for the card have also received an email stating, your utility bill or driver's license will not be used for any purpose other than to verify your eligibility to receive a $25 Loblaw card and will be destroyed as soon as the verification is complete. And if we do not receive this information within 30 days, we will have to reject your registration without further notice. The move causing a firestorm on social media with customers expressing outrage over Loblaw's request for personal information. Loblaw's was all about starting with a good idea, basically trying to make things right with customers, admitting they were at fault. And now they've compounded it and messed the whole thing up by trying to get private information from consumers right in the face of all these privacy breaches we've got right now on the internet. Dumb move. This is just taking a good plan and making it into a bad plan. We reached out to Loblaw for answers and were told in a statement, we think it's sensible to have safeguards in place and to make sure the interests of our customers are protected. The vast majority of registrations will be processed without this additional step. Those who are asked for ID can rest assured the process is secure and that their information will only be used for verification and then destroyed. This is a standard approach for programs of this sort. Customers are totally wired about privacy. Don't throw gasoline on the fire. The situation was tough enough. You're making it worse. The card intended to be a goodwill gesture, now coming at too high of a price for some consumers. And affected consumers who wish to share comments or information around the $25 gift card can do so on the Office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada's website where they have a comment form. This can all be done anonymously. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca.
Very good. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Well, while many of the new transit projects in Metro Vancouver are utilizing the latest technology, one being proposed for Richmond is going old school in a big way. That's right. It involves dusting off a tram line that hasn't been used in Steveston for 60 years. Tanya Beja explains. It's a piece of Richmond's history that may soon get a new lease on life. City Council looking at the possibility of putting tram 1220 back on track. The concept is to attract people to come down to Steveson and give them a glimpse of what Richmond uh, was like back in the day. The interurban tram was one of 28 operated by the BC Electric Railway Company beginning in 1913. For more than four decades, the trams weaved their way across the Lower Mainland, carrying people, commercial goods and farm products. But the explosion of cars on the road in the late 50s meant the end of an era for the interurban. They weren't seen by those in charge as having great value. Many of them I heard stories about how they were just dismantled and destroyed and they deteriorated. Volunteers and staff in Steveston are painstakingly restoring Tram 1220, preserving every detail from the rattan seats padded with horsehair to graffiti and match striker plates. You would not find that today, an opportunity for someone to light up a match on a car that's primarily wood. The city is now looking at the possibility of setting the interurban back in motion along Moncton Street or down Number 1 Road to Bayview, making a final stop at the Gulf of Georgia Cannery. Cost is a factor. We would have to see what kind of a route we would have, whether the streets are wide enough to accommodate it, uh, what the impacts on the neighboring businesses and a few residents would be. That sounds like a great idea. Is it feasible? Land's expensive around here. I think that'll be great, and the kids will love it. Yeah, and it'll make them appreciate the history. Never going to happen. Why? Well, number one, there's too much traffic. The city expects a report within the next four months with answers on whether the 106-year-old tram could eventually revisit Steveston streets. Tanya Beja, Global News. Well, the Humboldt hockey tragedy has not only impacted the family and friends of those killed and injured, but the emergency personnel who were first on scene. The Nipawin Fire Department sent 20 of its members to the crash site. The fire chief says first responders are trained to deal with emergencies like this, and it's not until after they clear the scene that emotions start to kick in. It was unbelievable. When we arrived on scene, we seen that the bus was uh, on its side, of course, and the semi on its side, and all the debris from the bales were scattered everywhere. And of course, the you know the players and the and the bystanders that were offering to help in as much as possible, and uh, just just a tremendous tremendous uh, scene that uh, nobody should have to go through. A dozen survivors of the crash are still in a Saskatoon hospital. Four remain in critical condition. And while investigators say it'll be some time before they're able to determine exactly what caused the deadly Humboldt bus crash, an effort has been made to reach out to one of those who has been rarely mentioned. A Reddit post begins with, Dear Saskatchewan truck driver, please know that some of us are thinking of you as well. It goes on to say, we do know you did not set out to end 15 lives as you turned the ignition that fateful day. I sincerely hope that you will be able to heal and that other Canadians wish the same. And my son, who plays hockey, and he plays in this area, 
He's done all those journeys. He's just brought it all home to me how quick life can end. So. That, of course, is music legend and hockey dad Rod Stewart at his show in Calgary last night, paying tribute to those killed and injured in the Humboldt tragedy. Stewart dedicated his song, People Get Ready, to the victims, displaying a massive photo of the Humboldt Broncos behind him. Stewart's son Liam played for the Spokane Chiefs of the Western Hockey League. Well, if you are a Facebook user, you might notice something different about your news feed today. The social media company launching changes to help you protect your privacy. Just as founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg is set to testify before U.S. Congress. Tonight, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg taking his apology tour to Capitol Hill. Mark, are you putting profits over people? Do you have any comments to the people who believe that they can no longer trust Facebook anymore? Facing reporters and senators one day before what's expected to be a grilling before Congress. If we don't uh, rein in the misuse of social media, none of us are going to have any privacy anymore. Facebook is under fire for its role in Russia's election meddling and for a scandal with Cambridge Analytica that harvested as many as 87 million Facebook users' personal data without their knowledge. Facebook says Zuckerberg will tell Congress we didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility and that was a big mistake. It was my mistake and I'm sorry. Facebook struggling with more bad news today. Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak joining the delete Facebook movement, criticizing the social media network for giving away too much information about its users. Everything you ever give, it's, oh, we own it now. We can sell your pictures and make money and even get money for them, and you don't get any money for them. That's been going on for a long time. Facebook today says it started notifying millions of users whose data was accessed, sending them a message on their newsfeed with a privacy tool so they can see where their information went and how to delete it. But does that go far enough? What's going to matter this week is not what Mark says, which is a lot of things that we've heard before, um, but how he says it. Facebook has to prove that it can be trusted. Another major development tonight in the numerous investigations swirling around U.S. President Donald Trump. Federal agents have raided the office and home of Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, who's been under public scrutiny over a $130,000 payment to a porn actress who says she had sex with Trump. The raid was based, at least in part, on a referral from special counsel Robert Mueller, who's investigating possible ties between Russia and the Trump campaign. Trump is calling the raid on his lawyer a disgrace and calls the Mueller investigation an attack on our country. In Health Matters tonight, a warning today for oyster lovers. The B.C. Center for Disease Control says a norovirus outbreak is being blamed on people eating raw oysters. About 40 cases of acute gastrointestinal illness have been reported since March 18th. It's what kept me off work last Monday. Two B.C. oyster farms have been closed. Human sewage is the suspected cause of the contamination. The B.C. CDC is urging people to ensure any oysters they eat are thoroughly cooked for 90 seconds. You don't want to wish it on your worst enemy. After you experienced it, Absolutely. you know firsthand, right? <laughs> to start with, but after the forecast, we'll show you how this implosion turned out to be a disaster. And just before we get to the forecast, it's been a cool spring so far, but experts have reason to worry heading into B.C.'s flood season. With more on what we can expect and where, 
Jeff Hastings joins us now. Jeff, the big concern right now is the snowpack in some parts of the province. That's right, Chris. We got a look today at the April 1st snow survey from the BC River Forecast Centre. It's considered to be the most important survey of the year. It's the one that gives us an idea of what's going to come. Right now, I'm on the side of the Pitt River. We're in the uh, lower Fraser Basin here. That's at 113% of normal snowpack for this time of year, so slightly above average. The south coast, 120%. Vancouver Island, 106%. The BC River Forecast Centre tells us that's not necessarily an indication of snow that will lead to flooding, but gives us an idea idea of uh, what the uh, water level numbers will be like for the summer. And up north, the Stikine, the lowest area in the province, 65%. But where the story is this week and last, and probably in the weeks to come, is in the Okanagan and the Similkamine. 152% of normal snowpack in those regions right now. Boundary as well, uh, Skagit as well, numbers in those uh, in a similar uh, zone. So there's some localized flooding there already. There's a lot of concern. Uh, they are taking measures to mitigate that flood risk. And the River Forecast Centre told us earlier, though, they're not sure what's going to happen. They told us about what conditions would need to occur for significant flooding to occur. The worst case scenario would be that we stay cool and fairly wet right into mid-May. And then from mid-May for maybe seven to ten days have a, a ridge of high pressure build over the entire province and uh, create extreme temperatures. So BC as a whole right now is 127 percent of normal. Most of those increased numbers are in the southern half of the province and they might go up. We are in a La Nina year which means cool wet weather. There's more storms on the way so right up until May we might see these snowpack numbers increasing. Chris? All right, we'll see. Thanks very much, Jeff. All right, speaking of weather and more precipitation, uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now. We have some more of it on the way, Christy. That's right. So he's talking about the worst-case scenario being that cold, wet weather. Here's just an idea of what uh, March was like. On the left here is the departure from average. So March, well below average, cool right across the region. And that is the percent of normal for precipitation. So we've been well above in most regions other than uh, the Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley region where we've been right near normal. And the forecast is not showing much of a change in the near future. So yes, that worst case scenario, not great news. Uh, we'll be tracking this closely, of course, as we head into the months throughout spring. And this cold weather has caused for a green start in the Abbotsford Tulip Festival, unfortunately. Yes, so uh, today's the official first day of the event. Uh, the 10-acre site should be bursting with color this time of year, uh, but they are waiting for the warmer weather, of course, to push in. Last year, 90,000 people visited this five-week-long event and uh, I'm sure they will be heading it that way soon enough. I did see two red tulips in my area. But as I t mentioned, though, the forecast is really showing cool wet weather for the days to come. Here's an idea. We'll see one wave after another, another one right there. Thursday, a little bit of a break, but then we've got another one on deck for Friday. So the first one pushes in tomorrow morning. We'll see the rain develop through the morning hours. If you're up early, you'll see the rain, but the winds won't build until a little bit later. Wind warning for the outer coast up to 90 kilometers 
kilometers an hour. Intercoast a little bit less, slightly below warning criteria, but still gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour. We can expect that through much of the day. Delays in the ferries, potential power outages, certainly. And with all the wet weather, the ground is very saturated, so we'll be watching for downed trees as well. Uh, here's the amount of rain we'll see in the next two days. Some areas up to 40, 50 millimeters of rain. Uh, this area in red indicates 60, 70 millimeters of rain. So incredible amounts of rain in the next two days. Wet and windy across the north coast as well. Uh, snow for the BC Peace River area, 5 to 10 centimeters. All parts of the province really wet and windy tomorrow, along with a risk of thunderstorms. And tomorrow afternoon for the south coast, we have that risk of thunderstorms as well. So highs of 12 degrees tomorrow. We cool down a little bit on Wednesday, but continuing with that wet weather. As I mentioned, a little bit of a break on Thursday, but we continue to be wet as we head into the weekend. One sign, though, or maybe two signs that spring is actually here. Are some blossoms on the trees and the little hummingbirds have been born as you can see the babies there so cute they've been visiting our feeder too almost right. camouflaged in there yeah. all right thanks christy a demolition in denmark ended up being a lot more expensive than it was supposed to be <laughs> Yep, spectators cheered when the implosion first detonated, but then watched in horror as the tower fell the wrong direction towards some other buildings. When the dust cleared, part of a cultural center had been crushed. Thankfully, the buildings had all been cleared for the demolition, so no one was injured. And a little girl playing hide-and-seek did so well, her mother couldn't find her. She only discovered her when the girl screamed that she was stuck in the washing machine. Rescue crews spent about half an hour cutting her out. That is quite the tiny little washing machine. That is not a North American washing machine. No. That happened in China. And you know what? That child's never been cleaner. That's true. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, that's true. Rebuilding. Rebuilding is a key word. It is. You don't want it to collapse like that thing we just saw. You don't want the, the silo to go the wrong direction. Oh, no, you don't want the silo to go the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Well, the rebuilding of the Canucks actually did start a couple of seasons ago, but it was slow. Now that the Sedins are leaving, things have to be accelerated a bit by this man and his friends. But that doesn't mean the Canucks will take the $14 million they don't have to pay the Twins anymore and go on a free agent shopping spree this summer. It seems like they have now accepted that youth is where it is at. That youth is where it's at when it comes to the future. Uh, is it because Trevor is staring adoringly at you? He is, actually. <laughs> other way. Other oh, way. on the other way. Oh, How you doing? look at you guys. Yeah, anyway, sorry. <laughs> I know this, this head is freaking me out, man. Anyway, Canucks are going to deal with the growing pains, work with the kids, try to mold them into a winning team sometime, sometime in the near future. What do you think, Trev? What do you think? These are the words Canuck fans have been waiting for Trevor Linden to say. We're going to be very young next year. With the retirement of the Sedins, two-thirds of a forward line now need to be filled. I mean, those guys hopped over the boards every power play for the last 17 years. And um, so that spot's going to be filled with the, uh, you know, with the Lipsigs and the Goldobins and the, possibly the Pettersons, the Gaudettes, the Vertanens next year. And that's... Uh, that's going to bring opportunity. Now, what would really accelerate the rebuild is if some of the Canucks' younger players come back from summer vacation better than ever. You know, that's how you get better. Your young players come back as better players. And we need Bo Horvat to keep improving. We need Adam Gaudet to have a great summer. And, uh, you know, Brock Best, can he get better? 
uh, right throughout our lineup. You can almost go player by player, and that's the only way to improve. One of the big questions with a younger team is leadership. With the old captain no longer on the bridge, will Vancouver give the job to Bo Horvat? Or will they hold off on any announcement and start next season with no captain? I can honestly say that there is there's nothing that has been decided. Uh, it's easy to say, will you have a captain? I won't sit here and say we won't, and I won't sit here and say we will. Short-handed, in, good! You know, a lot of people might think it's automatic that Bo will be the captain. And, you know, I'm not saying he's not going to be either. It's... Let's get through, let's decompress, and then we'll assess the situation. And despite missing the playoffs for the third consecutive season, there is optimism in the management group. Um, I think this is the first year where, you know, we've kind of got an identity. We've worked through some challenging times from when we got here, and we've got a, a group of young players that I think people are excited about. I think our ownership's excited about it. I think we're excited about it. Having said that, um, you know, We've got a lot of work to do, and no one's happy with where we are today, but we think we're on the right path, and that's what's important. All right, one area that really has to improve is the Canucks' defense. Yes, there were injuries, but even when they were entirely healthy, they didn't exactly put the fear into other teams, especially offensively. The blue line boys of the Vancouver Canucks rarely turned on the red light. And one of them, Ben Hutton, didn't score at all in 61 games. And he spent a lot of time in Travis Green's doghouse for his lack of contribution. At the end of the day, Ben Hutton had six assists in 61 games. And I wasn't thrilled with some of the, some of the things he was doing. His conditioning wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. His, I thought he could play better than he did on the ice. And we pushed him to do that. And I would, I'm going to push every player to be better. He's, he's right. I mean, uh, whether analytics or, you know, the special stats or whatever, we're good. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, there, there was only six assists. You know, I didn't score any goals. Um, I, when, I, when I see that and hear that, obviously I'm frustrated, and I want to come back and, you know, get my, get my numbers higher. Uh, I think his conditioning can be better, and that'll bring an overall, once his conditioning and skating get a little better, I, I think Ben Hutton can still be a real good player in this league. That's one of the things uh, he wants me to work on, and I'm, you know, I'm going to grind all summer hard uh, to make sure that I come back. Uh, you know, I'm one of the, the guys with the most conditioned guys on the team. The weather in Baltimore. Oriole Park, frigid, but there's nothing Camden Yards, Baltimore Blue Jays, Orioles, Steve Pierce. Where's the crowd? It's cold in Baltimore. So cold, you'd stick to the seats. So you don't want to come. Uh, 2-0 Blue Jays at that point. Now it's 2-1. It's a uh, bases-loaded situation. Almanis Diaz is going to try to score. Here we go. Trey Mancini to throw. Diaz running. Sophie coughing. And he's out. And the Jays are holding on to a 2-1 lead in the ninth inning. You okay? There's a sneeze. Uh, I just, allergies? I have a really odd-sounding sneeze. Okay. Good to know. Bark. It's a bark. It's a, it really is a bark. It's not as weird as Marsh's or Robin Stickley's, <laughs> so you're okay. Coming up on ET Canada, A Quiet Place makes some noise, plus Mean Girls takes over Broadway. Also, we preview Dwayne Johnson's rampage and how his life goals influence his fans like Sangita. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour, but for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Cheryl. 
Well, to say that a North Carolina bar owner went above and beyond when a customer lost her wallet would be a major understatement. His tireless efforts not only recovered a precious keepsake, but along the way, he helped a lost soul find a family, too. Generally speaking, bars are not bastions of grace and kindness. But here at Jimmy's in Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina, owner Jimmy Galise believes there's a lot more to serving customers than a good pour. I mean, just wait till you hear what he did for one patron, a total stranger who lost her wallet here last month with her wedding ring inside. And she was frantic, um, really upset about it. So it just became my mission. His mission to find her ring began with a thorough screening of the security footage. He had to watch three hours before finally finding her wallet on a bench outside the bar, the one at the far left, with the shady character approaching. Eventually, Jimmy figured out who that was and got him to confess to taking the cash and dumping the wallet in this ocean channel. It was long gone. But you still won't let this go. After I invested all that time, I'm going to find the ring. So I hired divers to come out the next day. You hired divers? <laughs> yeah, divers. Two divers who scoured the seabed and eventually surfaced with a soggy wallet and an irreplaceable treasure. Jimmy went so far beyond what most of us would do for a stranger. And yet, even after solving the mystery, he still felt the need to do more. Not for the woman who lost the wallet, but for the thief who took it. 17-year-old Rivers Prather is estranged from his mother. He's been trying to make it on his own, but was homeless the day he stumbled into Jimmy's life. I couldn't have been luckier. Most other people would have just, you know, gave the footage to police and he chose to help me. He's made me part of his family. Literally part of his family. Rivers is now staying in Jimmy's house with Jimmy's fiance and kids. He's got two jobs and a bright future. <laughs> How do you say thank you to a guy like that? I mean, I say thank you to him every day. I'd do anything for him. Man, Great that story. is quite a story, hey? Yeah. Reaching out to someone in need. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to leave you tonight with a tribute to the victims of the Humboldt tragedy. It's a social media campaign asking people to put their sticks out for Humboldt, a symbolic gesture bonding those grieving across the country and honoring the lives lost too soon.